Red Rocks Austin, how we doing, guys? You guys doing good? You look great. Even with masks, you look fantastic. You can take a seat. Um, I am so excited for this brand new series that we're jumping into today called Explicit Jesus. And if you don't mind, I just don't want to waste any time. And I just want to get straight to the good stuff because there is only one thing that our world needs. And it has always been true. It's just never been more clear that there is one answer and one hope. And it is not a mere principle. It is a person. And we don't need more speculation or debate. We need the real Jesus because he is the way, the truth and the life and I have been praying all week that God would use this series called Explicit Jesus to make this person called Jesus just come alive in your life. I've prayed that he would go from a 2D, black and white, staticky, pixelated version to this 4K, ultra HD, fully color Jesus who just pops out of the pages every time you open your Bible. This is explicit Jesus. Check out the definition of explicit. Stated clearly and in detail. That's all it means. Stated clearly and in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. And we need Jesus, not religious Jesus, not stained glass Jesus, not American Jesus or homeboy or hippie Jesus, not conservative or liberal Jesus, not street corner, soapbox, turn or burn Jesus. We need the real Jesus stated clearly and in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. We have to get Jesus right. Why? Because what you believe about Jesus will determine what you believe about God. And what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. What you believe about God will determine what you think about. What you believe about God will determine the things you say and the things you post or the things you don't say. It'll determine the things you do. It'll determine how you fight injustice or engage in, recon in racial reconciliation. What you believe about God will determine how much joy you walk in and how much peace you experience or the decisions you make or what you do when the going gets tough. It'll determine um, how much you honor and respect and obey your parents. It'll determine the kind of friends you are and how you forgive and how you steward the resources God's given you. It'll determine the kind of spouse you are. Long story short, your entire life is one big overflow of your belief about this invisible God, and Jesus is here to make an invisible God visible. And this is Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that says, the Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In other words, if you want to know what God's like, if you've ever wondered what God's like, just look at Jesus. The words, the life, and the personhood combined of Jesus state explicitly, clearly, and in detail who God is, right? So here's the premise we're going to be working from for this whole series. Loving God will not be a problem for you when you know the real Jesus, I believe that's true for every soul on this planet, that loving God will not be a problem for you when you know the real Jesus. And that's why uncovering the real Jesus is better and more valuable than finding gold. But you have to dig for it because religion has covered him up. 
And I believe his sacrifice is free, but I also think his substance wants to be found. And that's why Proverbs chapter 2 would say, search for him like silver. We want to dig up the character of Jesus like we would hunt for buried treasure. Because he's fully God, but also fully man, complete with character and a personality. And knowing this Jesus is the most valuable thing that there is. Better than finding actual buried treasure. And that's the journey that we embark on in this explicit Jesus series. To find this Jesus. And for some of us, this is where our journeys begin. And for others of us, it's where we return to. The real Jesus. And so God, we just keep this prayer short, sweet, and simple. <laughs> Give us the real Jesus. Leave no room for confusion or doubt. We want the real thing, the explicit thing. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, let me start off with a question. Um, are you the type who easily backs down from a challenge? Like you easily back down from a challenge, or are you the, the courageous, the brave, the daring, the easily susceptible to peer pressure type? It's like the older I get, I'm like, yeah, that's really the only two options. I pray that now that I'm getting older, I'm better at this. Now that I'm in my 30s and I'm a, I'm a husband and a, a dad and a, a pastor, also biblically in that order. Wow, look at God. I pray like I'm getting better at this, but Ryan, and guys, I never used to enjoy peer pressure, but Ryan and Ethan talked me into it. You get it? And those guys can vouch for me. All anybody has to do when a challenge comes up is say, oh, yeah, Doug won't do that. No, it's too dangerous. Oh, it's too risky. That's too hard. It's too scary. No, Doug won't do that. And if somebody says that and somebody else starts counting down, all of a sudden I'm like, what is this power that has come over me, right? Now this brings me to the Carolina Reaper Pepper Chip Challenge. And yeah, I had to practice saying that. The Carolina Reaper Pepper Chip Challenge. Have you heard of this? It took the world of... Uh, daredevils needing to prove themselves by storm back in 2017. And I found out about it when somebody brought it into a staff meeting that year and pulled out this red box that they ordered on Amazon. Just a little red box. And inside this box is one little chip. Just one chip. And on the box are all kinds of warnings. I kid you not. On this box it says, warning, call 911 if you stop breathing or go into cardiac arrest after eating this chip, it's really on the box, right? It says, fear the reaper. H-E double hockey sticks got nothing on this chip. But I'm thinking, okay, it's, it's a marketing ploy. I know how this stuff works. They're trying to get all the wannabe daredevils to buy their chip. I get it. It's just hype, okay? And so I'm like, give me, give me this chip. And I open the box and I pull out, it's, it's wrapped in plastic, 
to like, for like, because it's dangerous or whatever, this chip is. And so I'm holding it and I'm thinking, okay, H-E double hockey sticks got nothing on this chip. Well, my God has conquered H-E double hockey sticks, okay? The reaper shudders at the very sound of the name of my God. So let's see what this chip, like. and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm starting to like mature and wise up and I'm thinking, I don't have to prove anything to anybody. But then all of a sudden my friend Connor, who's sitting at the staff meeting goes, yeah, I didn't think Doug would eat that. No, it's too hot. It's too hot for him. He won't eat that. And immediately I go, what, bro? Excuse me? Um, I order double jalapenos on my Subway sandwiches, so yeah, I'm pretty much not afraid of anything. It's one tiny little black chip. Give me this chip. You guys, <laughs> thank you, God. I only bit off half of this chip. I'm not kidding you. If I ate the whole thing, I might not. Like, this thing took me down. And if you don't believe me, you need to Google or YouTube later Shaquille O'Neal just taking a small bite uh, on ESPN of this chip. Don't do it right now if you're watching church online. Wait till service is over. But go later and Google the Carolina Reaper Pepper Chip Challenge, okay? This thing ruined the rest of my day. The whole night, my wife can vouch for this, I'm in bed in the fetal position, Later that night, just like shaking and sweating, it was actually a great cleanse. I lost like five pounds, but let me recommend a sauna and a juice fast, not the Carolina Reaper Pepper Chip. I like challenges. What can I say? I, I like things that test me. I like to rise to the occasion. But let me be very, very clear. I do not like the challenge that presents itself in the text that we are about to read. We're about to read something in Genesis 22 that I think is the craziest, most insane, ridiculous story in the entire Bible. If that's okay, okay to say or not, I don't really care. I hate everything about the story that we are about to read. We're about to read a story about a father-son debacle and dilemma that's got more dysfunction than Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, okay? And whether you've grown up in church or not, you know this story. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse one. Here we go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Here comes the challenge. He said to him, how would you like to just be called by God like this? Abraham, oh, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And then verse two just goes straight into verse three the next morning. We get nothing about the, the nightmare of a night that Abraham must have gone through. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey and set off. And so just to, to press pause, to make sure we're on the same page, like he just said, Abraham, take your son to the region of Moriah and sacrifice your son. So I read this and I'm like, is anybody else like frustrated yet with the Bible? We're two verses in. I'm trying to think of what I would say to my wife if I'm Abraham. So me and Will are out on the driveway the next morning packing up the Chevy Traverse. And Sam walks out like, oh, babe, where are you guys going? Oh, you know, just camping. <laughs> Go 
going camp? Oh, it's so fun, like some father time. I know I do a great Sam. What are you going to do camping? And like just, I don't know, just the usual, like probably fishing and hiking, maybe climb a mountain and build a fire, have some s'mores and tell some stories and sacrifice our son. And then I will uh, get a great night's sleep and just come home totally relaxed in the morning. And she would go, "Um, I'm sorry, excuse me? Like, sacrifice our, our son. Oh, yeah, I know it's, it's yeah, I know. It, but it, it, God, God told me to do it. It's cool, babe. God told me to do it. Oh, God told you to do that. If God told you to jump off a bridge, if God told you to circumcise yourself, oh, wait, you did that too. Okay, oh, so if God told you, okay, all right. And so I'm like, like, do you not think this was an awkward breakfast for Abraham and Sarah that morning. I'm not trying to censor this story. This is not my story. This is God's story. It's the Bible. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he and his servants He said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together and Isaac spoke up and said to his dad, and he's a sharp kid, right? He's a smart cookie. "Uh, Dad? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. "Uh, Yeah, so the wood and fire are here, Isaac said. But where is, like, the lamb for this burnt offering? I'd ask the same question if I was Isaac. Like, you want to talk about a father wound about to happen right here. Because Abraham's partially kind of sort of confident this is a test, but he's not positive it is. So he answers in faith, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together, and when they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid his son on the altar on top of the wood, and then don't miss this, this is the Bible, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. My heart's just like racing, frustrated reading this. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Oh, thank God, here I am. Yes, he replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket in the thorns, he saw a ram caught by its horns. So he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So I actually hate this story. I'm not just saying that, like I really do. So just a little bit of quick context. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And this was 14 years after God promised him a son. More than that, God promised Abraham that he would be the father of an entire nation and that it would all happen through his son. 
Isaac is Abraham and Sarah's absolute prize and treasure. They love this kid more than life himself, and then God itself, and then God has the the nerve and the audacity to tell a dad to take his son to the region of Moriah and climb a mountain and sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. And we have the luxury of knowing ahead of time, this is a test, but Abraham didn't. To him, this is real. And that's why I hate this story, because I'm a dad now. And I read this, and I don't think it's noble. And I don't step back and just marvel at Abraham's faith, like, wow, what a man of God. No, I actually hate this. And I can tell you, test or no test, God, give me an F. How about this? I fail. I don't care. I'm just walking out of the classroom. I love challenges, but when it comes to this challenge specifically, like I'm backing down. You can't God pressure me into this one. I don't care. You can kill me, but I am not going to kill my son. Like church, I don't think I even have the the heart or the stomach to describe for you what a burnt offering sacrifice actually entails. Not because I'm trying to be God's defense attorney here, but because I'm a dad now and I actually, I think I would start crying if I did. Like just to be clear, he's telling Abraham to sacrifice his son. And I know it seems like I'm venting publicly right now, but I'm actually very frustrated with God and very mad at Abraham. I'm like, what kind of God would ask that? And what kind of dad would actually do this? He builds the altar and ties up Isaac and gets his knife out. And we read that and go, wow, what faith. And I'm like, if you saw that happening today, you wouldn't be like, oh, this amazing Man of God, what a well-behaved little boy. Like, no, you would tackle the lunatic and call Child Protective Services. Like, I love when Christians try to, like, protect the Old Testament and say, like, no, no, it's not weird. You're weird. It's not strange. It's just, it's, it's just cultural. Like, no, it's weird. And if this is a story of faith I'm called to emulate, then I'm out, guys. Like, I'm out. There's a lot of concern and many questions in our culture about the Old Testament. I don't know if you've noticed. Is he the God of monogamy? Because, like, what what about all this, like, polygamy? That's a great question. Is he the the God of creation? Because, like, like, what about, like, evolution and, like, dinosaur bones? And, like, hey, awesome question. The bigger, better questions even have to do with God's character. Is he the God of the law, or is he the God of grace? Is he the grumpy old God from the Old Testament, or is he he the happy-go-lucky, hippie Jesus from the New Testament? Is he the God of wrath, or is he the God of mercy? Is he the God who would send a flood and kill, or is he the Jesus who heals and saves? Is he the God who would tell a dad to sacrifice his son, or is he good? Because you know what? You can't have both. So which one is it? All right, let's worship. Love you guys. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's good, though, 
to sit in this tension for a moment. I think very strongly the reason we get confused and honestly the reason the church sometimes confuses culture is because we try to relate to the Bible based on principles before we relate to the Bible through a person. We try to relate to the Bible based on principles before we primarily relate to the Bible through a person. And we do that because when it comes to relating to an invisible God, religion is just easier than relationship. Why? Because God's invisible. You can't see him. But rules and regulations are tangible and quantifiable. So I'll stick to that. And so we'll go straight to the Bible and we'll read stories like Joshua leading the Israelites out of the desert and into the promised land. And our big takeaway is, come on, church, have courage and be a leader like Joshua. And you know what? Actually, absolutely yes. But we'll read David and Goliath and the big takeaway is, come on, Christian, have a pure heart and conquer the giants in your life. And you know what? Absolutely yes. We'll read stories about Abraham and Isaac and we'll think, wow, look at that willingness. Try to have more faith like Abraham because you never know when God's gonna be testing you. And you know what? Once again, yes, absolutely awesome. Of course, all those things are true. But here's my question, why? Why do those principles apply to any of us? And the answer is because they were personified and fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Follow me here that Jesus is the greater Joshua who leads his people out of a desert called sin into a promised land called heaven. That Jesus is the greater David who conquered the original and ultimate giant called death. And we were the Israelites as good as dead in our trespasses and sins. It's called dispensation. That the, the New Testament is the story of Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament. And we now relate to the whole thing through the one who has actually fulfilled it. Which means now, yes, you can be brave and you can lead like Joshua even when you feel unqualified because you have Jesus and he qualifies those that he calls. And you can conquer the giants in your life and have a pure heart because Jesus has conquered the ultimate Goliath called death. Jesus plus nothing now equals absolutely everything. And now everything you feel like you have to do to get to God, Jesus has actually already done. And all the tests you feel like you now need to pass, Jesus has already passed all of them for you. And all the courage you could ever need to face whatever life is throwing at you has been personified and put into you by Jesus. And the weight that you walk around carrying on your shoulder to lead and to parent and to provide, Jesus is saying, come to me. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. I want to raise that off of your shoulders. It's Jesus who fulfilled it, which means you got this Christian whatever your this is right now you've got this because Jesus already did that like you know what Genesis chapter 22 is really all about right the story we just read it's not about Abraham 
If it was about Abraham and how to muster more faith and be the hero like Abraham, it would have given us more details. It would have given us Abraham's five-step battle plan and all five steps would have rhymed, right? If in God you will trust, Christian, then it's time to readjust. Now shake off the dust, get rid of your lust. Beware of moths and rust, it's the mountaintop or bust. Sacrifice you must, like I gotta stop right there. But you know, it's not about Abraham. If it were primarily about Abraham, then here's what we would do. We would read the story and we would read Abraham as the hero who mustered the faith to pull that off and pass the test. And then I would read that story and I would think, oh my gosh, I'm Abraham in this story. If only I can muster the faith and if only I can pass the test that God throws my way. But this is not primarily about Abraham or you or me. It is not about a principle called faith. This is about a person called Jesus. And once you start looking for him in the Bible, you will start to find him absolutely everywhere you look. The Old Testament points forward to him. The New Testament is him. And so let's go back to Genesis chapter 22 and see if we can spot Jesus in this Old Testament story. But just a fair warning, once you see this, you will never be able to unsee this for the rest of your life. Isaac was born a supernatural birth to a 90-year-old woman. Jesus was born a supernatural birth to a 16-year-old virgin. Isaac is referred to as a one and only son in Genesis 22 too. Jesus is referred to as a one and only son in John 3.16. Isaac humbly and courageously submits to the will of his dad. Jesus humbly and courageously submitted to the will of his dad. And you know what I wonder? I wonder why there's not more to be made about the dark night of the soul that Abraham must have felt between verses 2 and 3. You know that night that God gave him this assignment and what he must do? Between that moment and the next morning when he set off, like you think they slept at all that night? You think Abraham slept that night anticipating the physical, spiritual, emotional pain that was waiting him the next morning? Like it makes me wonder if we're supposed to read in a different dark night of the soul. One that happened years later in a garden called Gethsemane. And another son who sweated blood, anticipating what was waiting for him the next day. Because Abraham woke up the next morning with Isaac and heads out on, catch this, a three-day journey to the region of Moriah where the sacrifice of his son will be made. Once again, that reminds me of a different story of sacrifice that involved another three-day journey. The one that Jesus made to Helen back between the cross and the empty tomb that he walked out of. Isaac carried the wood for his sacrifice up the mountain to the top where his sacrifice would happen. Jesus carried a wooden cross up a mountain called Golgotha to the place where he would be sacrificed, right? Abraham expected to find a lamb, but instead God provided a ram in the thicket and the thorns. You guys, Jesus wore a crown of thorns. And then later that afternoon, Abraham named that mountain, the Lord will provide. Not the Lord just provided, 
Not the Lord has provided, the Lord will provide. And then 42 generations after that afternoon, after that same region of Moriah would later come to be called Jerusalem. The Lord truly would provide a perfect, spotless Lamb of God who would be sacrificed by crucifixion on one of those exact hills to finally fulfill and conquer the death, this final giant of Goliath as the greater David and fulfill all of the Old Testament in its entirety. Church, like everything else in the entire Bible, it all points to Jesus. If you look for him, you will see him everywhere, this explicit Jesus. And so let me go full circle and wrap up my public therapy session that I was having with myself just a few minutes ago. Does the story of God asking Abraham to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him bother you? Has that story ever made you scream like, that's not fair, and feel anger and frustration in every cell in your body and in your soul? Does this story offend you? Good. Let it offend you. Be shocked. Be mad. And then be all the more offended, shocked, and mad that God actually had to do what Abraham never did. This story's in here to offend us and to shock us and to make us marvel at this God who actually did what he never let Abraham go through with. That God took his one and only son as the perfect lamb of God's sacrifice for you. And if it was just you, he would do the same thing all over again. If you ever, ever doubt the way God feels about you and how much he loves you, come straight back to this story that is in here, in my opinion, to shock all of us. This is the explicit Jesus, the hero of the story. And so we don't need a principle, church. We need a person. We need the one who fulfilled the Old Testament to come and fill our lives. He's, he's all we got. It's never been this clear. He's the only chance any of us have. We need the real Jesus. And in this series, we are going to do the best that human beings can do to uncover him from all the religion we've piled on top of him to search for him like silver, to hunt down his character and his personhood as if it were buried treasure. Maybe you've been keeping religious Jesus up in the stained glass for far too long and it's time to invite him down in a personal way to disrupt your life, to change you, to lead you, to fulfill you, the real Jesus, you guys. He was not the, the pale, frail, soft-spoken, religiously toned pacifist holding a lamb with a busted leg like you see him in so much of the Christian artwork he's depicted in. He wasn't just divinity. He was also fully human and had a personality you would have loved and a sense of humor. Church, God told jokes. He was born as a fugitive in a cave during a genocide. He grew up poor. His entire ministry had nowhere to, 
to lay his head at night because he was operating behind enemy lines. He was the hunted one who became the hunter of all evil. He was fierce, but he was also incredibly humble. He was disruptive by nature, but he was also infinitely kind and loved people, loved being with people, enjoyed the company of people, would barbecue with you, liked to celebrate life. And he said things that shocked important people. He told stories that caused crowds to collectively suck air and gasp. <gasps> he called out Pharisees. He threw vendors out of his temple. He made demons in all darkness shudder every time he walked into the room. He told storms to stop being storms. He, he, he told dead little girls to stop being dead. He made claims to be the son of God that got him arrested. And when the moment came, he voluntarily walked straight into those handcuffs, willingly to the cross to be crucified. You guys, loving God, this is true for every person on the planet. I believe that with all my heart. Loving God will not be a problem for you when you know the real Jesus, the explicit Jesus. Jesus is God explicitly stating himself clearly and in detail here to make an invisible God visible. He is the hero of the story. He is what I'm not. He does what I can't. He's like oxygen. It's everywhere, but it only matters and changes you when it somehow gets in here. And so the whole point of this whole series is how do we get the life of Jesus to somehow fill our lives, whatever it takes. And there's no formula. I know every amount of stairs on every staircase in my life. Is that a weird, seemingly random detail? There's 16 steps on the staircase in my house. Our old condo in Colorado, there were 15 to get upstairs. Up onto the stage, there's four. To get up to our office, there's 21. And I know that because, and this might sound strange, but I, I just, under my breath, I say Jesus. With every step, as I count every single step, I just... Like the, there's, there's no formula. I'm just like, I gotta get the life of Jesus into my life at whatever, whatever the cost, whatever I have to do. He's like oxygen, whatever it takes, you guys. He did everything. This Jesus who was the substitute. God will provide. God has provided the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, the explicit Jesus who is the answer to everything all of us are looking for. Like you think you want that and want that, and you think you need that and need that, and on some level you do, but I'm telling you, and you feel it, I don't have to prove it. There is a level underneath that that's deeper, that senses there's more out there. There has to be an answer to this ache I feel, and the reason you feel that is not just just emotive. It's your soul sensing and hinting to you that Jesus, a God beyond all this, is somewhere out there and wants to come and do for you what nothing else under the sun can. The explicit Jesus, the hero of the story who has no rival and has no equal. And right now in heaven, a million angels are falling face down on the floor, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That same God in all his divinity 
divinity is also a person with a personality and character that if you knew, you would fall in love with. So as we worship, let us fix our eyes full in the face of Jesus. And may the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the process in the light of his glory and grace. And so God, we just keep this prayer simple. We ask for the real Jesus. God, like a, like a North Star in a cloudy world, would you part the sky and show us the real explicit Jesus? Would you leave no room for confusion or doubt? Make him more real to all of us than he's ever been, ever in our lives. We want the real thing, the explicit thing. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Red